Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we're going to cover a lot of ground on today's episode. We're going to look over to the Eastern Corn Belt first and speak with Ty Higgins, Director of Communication with the Ohio Farm Bureau Federation, about how things are moving along in that state. Before, we're going to talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Economist with Stone Axe. We're going to look ahead to Friday's document dump from USDA, planting intentions and quarterly grain stocks coming out on that day. Arlen will give us his insight on what to expect. And then we're going to close today's show with Dean Nelson, Kelly Bean. Acreage questions are in the air and how much acreage up in the Northern Plains will dry beans and pulses take? Dean will give us the update on that segment of the industry. Before we dive into all of that, however, let's talk about how things are going from the Ohio Farm Bureau Federation's perspective with Ty Higgins. He joins us now. Ty, thanks for making the time to speak with us today. Hey, Mike, thanks for the opportunity. You know, Ohio has been in the news here over the last two months. It's hard to believe it has been nearly two months since that Norfolk Southern train derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. Ty, from Ohio Farm Bureau's Federation, how has that changed the conversation over the past two months there in the state? Well, you know, obviously when something like this happens, uh, the word that comes to mind is unprecedented. We never had anything like this happen in the Buckeye State, and, and we didn't know exactly how to respond. Uh, but of course, immediately everything was focused within a one mile radius of that derailment to make sure that everything was contained. And, and then a couple, a couple of days after that, there was a controlled burn. And we saw this big, I know people on social media have seen it, this big black cloud over the city of uh, East Palestine, Ohio. And, and you know, the results of that uh, caused quite a bit of concern in ag country. And so as those days and weeks went on, we really started raising our hand and saying, hey, we have concerns outside of that one mile radius. We, we have to get out into farm country uh, where some ash fell from that plume of smoke. And, uh, you know, people were wondering if the products coming out of that area of East Palestine were going to be safe to consume. And, you know, right away, we heard from one farmer that uh, her business went completely dark, right? Nobody was buying her eggs because the chickens were pecking at the ground uh, in East Palestine. Uh, she made goat soap milk. And because the goats drank from the water well, uh, no one saw that as safe. And, and so, right from the get-go, there was concern from producers. And then we get into the dairy farms in the area and the livestock producers. And are, is the soil going to be contaminated to where we can't plant corn and soybeans here in a couple of weeks in that part of the state? And so we uh, got the ear of the federal government and the state government, and we really started bringing everybody to the table, including Ohio agriculture. And that's gone a long way because we're starting to see testing now of that soil. We're starting to see testing uh, of uh plant tissue and, and of water and of other things in the area and, and starting to look at options of testing for the milk. And so things are getting done on that front. But Mike, the big issue here is, you know, we know what happened in the short term, but what about that medium and long term? Are there going to be impacts long lasting for agriculture? Not to mention that the farmers in that area are going to have this proverbial black eye over them because of their location in East Palestine, Ohio. So markets there, uh, how long are they going to be uh, in the situation they are now where consumers are questioning the safety of the food in that area? And how do we get out of that? How do we work with these farmers to make sure and get the message out that things there are safe? And, and the early testing results we're getting back do say that. They say that our products are 
are safe in East Palestine and that uh, everything is kind of status quo for agriculture. But we need to make sure that that testing continues for the soil, that testing continues for the milk and for the eggs and for everything in that area to make sure there aren't long term effects. Uh, and, you know, even though things may start to get cleaned up in that area, we have to continue to uh, raise our concerns for Ohio agriculture and the farmers there. And Ty, has the pressure from the farm community been able to expand the testing circle beyond that one mile radius? Are we covering more ground now in assessing how safe this stuff is? We are. We're getting a couple of miles uh, all the way, I think, to 10 mile radius, even into Pennsylvania, uh, crossing the state border there to to figure out uh, from farmers that have been concerned over the past two months if things are good where they are. And so far, so good, Mike. Well, that is good to hear. Ty, you also mentioned the livestock production in Ohio. It's an incredibly diverse agricultural production state with a lot of dairy producers. And I know that Ohio Farm Bureau has been active here on uh, on well the updates to the dairy industry, Dairy Pricing Opportunity Act in particular. What have you heard from your members on that particular bill? Yeah, we've been very active for a long time. Well, we have a dairy action group we've set up here in Ohio. And, and of course, American Farm Bureau hosted the Federal Milk Marketing Order uh, Forum in Kansas City, Missouri, back in October. What really came out of that was that the dairy pricing system is really complicated. You need a doctorate just to figure out exactly what you're going to get paid for your milk on the farm. And so what we're working with is uh, Ohio Farm Bureau and American Farm Bureau uh, helping to get the Dairy Pricing Opportunity Act introduced in Congress. And this is the first step to many steps that need to happen for dairy pricing reform. What this act would do is direct USDA to hold a national federal milk marketing order hearing uh, that would review farmer and industry proposals. And, and among those proposals, really, you know, according to us, things that are, are very attainable, a return to class one mover to a higher of formula, increasing class one milk differentials to reflect changes in the marketplace, making the processing cost surveys of plants mandatory and audited by USDA to ensure they're accurate. Uh, we want to tighten pooling provisions, update, make allowances routinely with mandatory cost surveys, uh, expand the number of products used in USDA's pricing survey and really just simplify the process. Milk and dairy pricing has not really been looked at in almost 30 years. And so a lot has changed in the dairy industry in that time. We need to see the pricing of dairy change as well. And that's all, that's all going to start with this Dairy Pricing Opportunity Act, which uh, you can contact your congressmen or women today and ask them to uh, co-sponsor this and get it to the floor as soon as possible. Absolutely. Modernize that dairy industry for producers here in this day and age. Ty, another hot topic, Ohio Farm Bureau, one of the earlier states to act on it, eminent domain reform. We're hearing it across the Corn Belt. Ohio made the jump. What sort of changes did you see in Ohio's eminent domain uh, rules this year? Well, we're not seeing any yet, but uh, we are seeing good movement in the right direction. Uh, our state, believe it or not, lags behind almost every other state in protection for landowners when it comes to eminent domain. Uh, our landowners here in the Buckeye State are faced with losing property rights through eminent domain, and the present law makes it difficult for them to defend their own interests, and, and they often find themselves at a disadvantage. So we have uh, new legislation in the House, House Bill 64, that's going to create a more direct legal route for our landowner to receive compensation when a 
property is taken by the government without compensation. So this is a court action called inverse condemnation. And that's something that a lot of states around Ohio and most other states around the country have. Ohio does not. So this will give safeguards to landowners across Ohio, really protect them from government and utilities taking their property. Uh, you know, this is something that is much needed and it's going to give our members uh, a clear and convincing evidence that uh, they have an extra tool in the toolbox when it comes to eminent domain when someone comes and wants to take their land. That is a great point, Ty. Folks across the country, bone up on the eminent domain responsibilities in your state. I think we're going to be talking about them here over the next couple of years. We have been talking today with Ty Higgins, the Senior Director of Communications for the Ohio Farm Bureau Federation. Ty, appreciate you taking the time to join us today with your insights there on what's going on on the ground in Ohio. Thanks, Mike. Always good to visit. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA coming up in just a moment right here. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the King of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. 
we drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are the foundation fighting blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA this morning. We're looking ahead as an industry to Friday's reports from the USDA. We'll talk with Arlen Suderman here in segment three about what he's expecting on these coming planting intentions reports and what the quarterly grain stocks report could show us as well. Well, we do have an update to the quarterly grain stocks, at least a small one. Those carryouts shrank by a little bit for corn and soybeans yesterday afternoon. On Tuesday, several barges broke loose from a towboat on the Ohio River outside of Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, many of those those barges drifted off. Uh, several of them, as of now, are still trapped. As of earlier Wednesday morning, three barges were still pinned against the lower dam site. One barge pinned against the Louisville and Indiana Bridge Pier. The other barges have been recovered, but it's worth noting that one of these barges was carrying about 110,000 gallons of methanol. The other barges, all carrying corn and soybeans, working their way downstream to get out at the port of New Orleans or down in the lower Gulf of Mexico. No injuries were reported. All personnel was accounted for. Seems to be a minor accident, really the first one of the shipping season so far in 2023. Now, the Army Corps did say the locks at Louisville will remain closed until those barges are cleared. The dam is stabilized and inspected. That's a lot of weight moving around when those barges break loose and they're being pushed by these rivers that, while not flooding, certainly are elevated than they have been because of recent rains across the eastern Corn Belt. We've got some other weather updates coming. Our friend John Baran over at DTN issued an update coming on the issues or, or the weather events expected to hit this later on this week. Currently, today, actually, there is a weather front entering the West Coast. It's bringing heavy precipitation to Northern California. Our friends and listeners out in Oregon and much of the Western states, he notes this is going to be developing over the next couple of days. That Mountain West could see some more substantial snowfall. And as the system emerges into the plains here on Thursday and Friday, it's going to ramp up those wind gusts for much of the region. John notes that Nebraska through Texas, so Kansas, Oklahoma, the Panhandles, we're going to be talking wind gusts of 40 to 50 miles an hour across that broad geography. And that's going to push on into the southwestern part of the U.S. Winds could accelerate to 60 plus miles an hour. Given the ongoing spate of drought across the southwestern United States, 60 mile an hour winds raise the risk of a dust storm and or blowing sand and dust. Folks, stay safe out there. Continue to keep an eye on this forecast. Hopefully, as John has mentioned, we are transitioning from a La Nina into an El Nino situation, which 
as summer drags on, we get closer to fall, should provide some relief for our friends there in that drought bullseye on the Southern Plains. Yesterday on the program, we talked a lot about the beef industry. And we talked about with uh, Kent Backus of NCBA, how USDA right now is weighing whether or not to allow imports of beef to the United States from the country of Paraguay. And the consensus from domestic cattle production groups is that they would not like to see that. There are ongoing concerns about animal health diseases in the country of Paraguay, a lack of consistent response times for when a disease breaks out. And all of those reasons, as Kent mentioned yesterday, were reasons that beef producers here in this country would like to see Paraguayan beef stay out of the country. Similar stories, as we've discussed in recent weeks with regard to Brazil, their lack of quick reporting whenever they have an animal disease outbreak, particularly on the beef side, makes the global cattle industry hmm, rather frustrated with how Brazil handles these animal health issues. Well, this was an interesting note that came out yesterday. The United States Department of Labor awarded a $5 million grant under a cooperative agreement with a UN agency to help fund initiatives addressing abusive labor practice on Brazilian and Paraguayan cattle ranches. Uh, this comes back to a topic that has been floating in recent years about production in South America which is that it's not uh, it's not as well supervised as production here in the United States. There are allegations of cattle ranches destroying parts of the Amazon. There are allegations in this report of potentially slave-like conditions uh, for these workers on cattle ranches across Paraguay. The labor ministry down in Paraguay notes that 116 workers, including 41 Paraguayans, were rescued from, here's the quote, slave-like conditions last year in Mato Grosso do Sol in Brazil. Uh, these folks worked on cattle ranches, sugarcane plantations, basically a lot of labor jobs throughout the ag industry in Brazil and Paraguay. And as and the United States does not like to see that. So this $5 million is going to go from the U.S. to the U.N. And the idea is they're going to take it down to Brazil's Mato Grosso do Sul and in the Paraguayan Chaco region and use the money to help inform these employees of their rights as ag producers. So this dollar, this dollar amount was announced yesterday. We'll see how it starts to spread out. We'll see when those funds actually get dispersed and what that work down in Paraguay and Brazil looks like. Always curious to see how American dollars are supporting ag in other countries. And ag in other countries, folks, continues to be in the news, notably Russia and Ukraine, a counteroffensive currently going on. It was announced earlier today that several uh, sites were hit well behind Russian lines as those Ukrainians potentially look to ramp up a counteroffensive. But back inland in Russia, their grain industry continues to struggle. Commodities trader Cargill told the Russian Agriculture Ministry yesterday that it will stop exporting Russian grain at the start of the next exporting season, which in Russia begins July 1st. Cargill said, quote, the cessation of its market activities on the Russian market will not affect the volume of domestic grain shipments abroad. The company's grain export assets will continue to operate regardless of who manages them. Excuse me. That's from the Ag Ministry. What they're saying with that comment is that they will be expropriating Cargill's grain assets and using them to continue moving grain overseas. This was reported first by the RBC, and they're notifying that the they're excuse me, letting the Russian government know that they have notified the 
ag minister that this is done. This decision has been made, and it's a fairly big one. Cargill was expected to export 2.2 million tons of Russian grain in this exporting season. That's 4% of Russia's total grain export totals. Other news back in the United States on the animal health front. PERS, Porcine Reproductive and Respiratory Syndrome. This is a disease we have talked about it. If you listen to AOA uh, regularly, Dr. Paul Sundberg of the Swine Health Information Center has been on several times. This is a disease that has really racked the hog industry uh, for a number of years. Last year, it was costing farmers $1.8 million per day in veterinary treatments. That's the cost to the industry. It is a, a huge cost for an industry that like the rest of agriculture, sees production costs fluctuate wildly. And that has absolutely been the case this year with the bumps in corn and bean meal prices here over the past several months. Now, good news coming from Ohio, excuse me, Iowa State University. Uh, a group of researchers there have been studying the frequency of the whole virus's genome. And what they're trying to do is develop a method to predict the evolution of the genome. The challenge that these folks have been running into with PERS is that it's an adaptive virus. It can change, it can modify, and so this new research is going to hopefully pinpoint how that gene evolves and modifies, which could allow hog farmers a quicker response, a, a quicker turn time to get those tools back in their toolbox. This was being reported, as I mentioned, it's work, work being done at Iowa State University, and it's uh, it's Dr. Lynn Harris who is doing the work. So continue to follow that. We'll see if we can get Dr. Lynn Harris on. That uh, ongoing issue with PERS is, is one that the hog industry has certainly would love to grapple with a little bit less. Before we take a break here, we do have an update. Our friends at DTN had the chance to dig in to the average corn yield data for 2022. And when you start looking at data in detail, you can uncover some surprising facts. Question to the AOA audience, what state was the county in that had the highest average yield? You might be guessing Iowa, you might be guessing Indiana, possibly some irrigated ground in Nebraska. Well, you'd be wrong. The top corn producing state on a yield basis isn't in the Corn Belt. It's in Idaho. Elmore County, Idaho grew a county average corn yield of 247.3 bushels. Now, worth noting, it is not on a huge corn acreage base. They grew that on about 19,500 corn acres. The top 10 was rounded out pretty solid performance by our friends in Illinois, Stark County, Illinois, Woodford County, Illinois, Delta, excuse me, Delta's in Colorado, Ogle, DeWitt, and Macon and McLean counties all helped round out the top 10. Two counties from Colorado jumped in there. We had Mesa and we had Delta in there in the top 10 as well. The states with the worst average for 2023. No surprise to our listeners. It was those states gripped by drought across the South West, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas rounded out the worst corn yield in 2023. Folks, stay tuned. Arlen Suderman, Chief Econo Economist with Stonex, will be joining us here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation powered to perform. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. 
When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we look at this trade action on Wednesday, all three wheat markets, they're flying high once again. Led by Kansas City and Chicago, May futures, KC May, just since March 10th has rallied a little over a dollar, nearly a dollar seventeen a bushel, now trading above the 100-day moving average. A lot of uncertainty regarding Russia's wheat exports and the shorter extension of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, both propping up futures along with a lot of strong fund short covering. We have weather issues also creeping into this wheat market with the dryness in the southwestern plains and also the snowpack in the northern plains and frigid temperatures likely to delay spring wheat seeding. All of that is adding to strength here midweek. Corn futures firm early here on Wednesday with spot May closing in on both the 50-day and 100-day moving average. We're seeing yet again more demand to China this morning. 204,000 metric tons of corn for delivery during the 22-23 marketing year. That's helping keep this corn market elevated. A little bit of spreading between old and new crop. Soy complex is relatively quiet here today as the soybeans uh, and soy meal have been moving higher. Looking for a fourth consecutive higher close we really just seems like we overdid it to the downside here in the soy complex and that's why some of this fund money is coming back in the long liquidation has quit for now and we are getting uh, movement back into soy although things are a little bit quiet today world vegetable markets they've been moving higher with palm oil and canola both higher as well likely headed for a fourth straight gain traders gearing up for friday's prospective plantings and quarterly grain stocks reports Plus, it'll be the end of the month and end of the quarter, so that could lend more volatility to the markets as well on Friday. And livestock trade relatively quiet. Cattle up a little bit. Hogs down slightly. Really just not a lot of fresh news right now in the livestock market. Crude oil up 92 cents, 74.12. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, 
powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. It's time to turn our focus to the commodity markets and whether we're looking at the energies, the grains, or the cattle complex. We've got some bullish attitudes here in the trade, it would appear, early on Wednesday. Joining us for an update as well as an outlook for what to expect this Friday with the quarterly grain stocks data and prospective plantings, we're talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. And Arlen, thanks for joining us today. It's good to be back with you, Mike. Taking a look at the market's performance overall this morning, it appears as though the trade is back in favor of commodities. Arlen, are we putting this bank the confidence issue behind us in the markets? We are for now. We're going to continue to be vulnerable to headlines, but with the banking issues for now being behind us, we haven't had any fresh failures now for a little while. The Silicon Valley Bank has a buyer signature has been taken care of. Uh, so to speak, all of its assets and customers. Uh, we're all going to pay a price for that, but uh, overall the contagion seems to have been eased for now. And so the hearings that we've been seeing on Washington, D.C., rather than raising more concerns, seem to be doing more to calm the waters. So I watch the VIX index, which is Washington's fear index. It's trading near 19 for the first time in a couple of, in almost three weeks today. So that means that things are settling down on Wall Street. Figure anything below 20 is showing fairly normal fear levels on uh, on Wall Street. And what that's doing is allowing the commodity markets to trade supply and demand fundamentals. And during that time of fear, they had seen some tremendous liquidation first corn and wheat, and then soybeans, and now all three are rallying, focusing more on concerns out there that might limit supplies, and we also see some good demand for the corn that's also providing some support as well. Arlen, I'm glad you brought up the good demand for corn. Saw another export sale this morning, 8 million bushels of corn going into China. Are the Chinese buying this corn to use it right now, or are the margins still that they're buying it to put into storage? Well, feeding margins right now in China are pretty poor. And as we look at the number of pigs available to be fed and the feeding margins for pigs, it looks like we're going to be seeing lower consumption probably through the summer months for both corn and for soy meal uh, as we're seeing reduction in demand for both. So the increase in demand right now looks to me to be supplies that China is trying to take advantage and in, in acquire, taking advantage of the recent price break. It doesn't mean because USDA announced a sale this morning that the sale, purchase actually took place overnight. What it means is China with its uh, fingers into our infrastructure here in the United States can acquire grain sometimes weeks or maybe even several months before we actually know they've done so and not until they line up freight do we know they've done so and they have to report it to USDA. 
So we don't know exactly when they got this, but much of it was probably acquired on the big price break. Uh, over 3 million metric tons now, so basically about 118 million bushels have been purchased here over a little over the last two weeks, or at least have been reported over the little over the last two weeks. And I think a lot of that's going to go into the reserves. We, we believe that their corn reserves had gotten quite low. The uh, soybean reserves, it's much harder to tell exactly where they're at, but we know they'd pulled quite a bit out of the soybean reserves over the past year. And so they've been aggressive buying both. The soybeans they've been buying from Brazil because they're a lot cheaper than U.S. beans right now. Um, the corn they're buying from us because we have it and we're the cheaper source right now. Um, but they, they seem to be really building those supplies. Arlen, if the feeding margins are tight right now in China, if the demand on the ground is starting to drop, is there the risk that the Chinese could cancel these purchases of American corn when that Brazilian safrina crop comes online? There is. And if we look at what they have that they've purchased that have that they've not taken delivery on, it's a little over 120 million bushels right now, so not much more than what they've already purchased. So they've been doing a good, pretty good job of taking shipment as they make the purchases. And that may be because of the heightened tensions between the United States and China. Uh, it may be that they want to acquire these supplies while they can. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that, not only politically, but fundamentally as well. When you look at the world exporters of corn, there's four primary exporters, United States, Brazil, Argentina, and Ukraine. Well, we all know about the war in Ukraine that continues to reduce corn production. And in fact, this year's corn production, Ukraine is expected to be half of what it was two years ago at best. Then you look at Argentina, where they had a record drought this year, and their crop is looking at maybe being about 60% of a normal crop. Now you go to Brazil, where they could produce a big crop, but most of the safrina crop, which is their exportable crop, uh, was planted late. Now, if everything goes well, they can still produce a big crop, but it's going to be very vulnerable to freezes in Paraná in some of the southern growing areas. And if the rainy season happens to end before the grain has all gone through pollination, early grain fill, and made a grasso de sol and made a grasso, that could result in a short crop there too. So the risks are high for China, and if it needs the corn, it wants to make sure it gets it in hand. So my bias is, and I have felt this way for a couple of months, that they would come in and buy more than USDA expects and take shipment of it to have it on hand, not knowing what the future is. That's kind of their mode of action. They want to make sure that they have the supplies they have and got them booked and, and locked in and shipped ahead of time. Well, planning for the future, Arlen, that's what American farmers are preparing to do as we get into the field here for the 23 growing season. Planting intentions coming out this Friday. You do a lot of research at Stonex, a lot of conversation with growers. Where do you think this acreage number is going to come in? Well, I have one of the higher corn acreage numbers. I'm at 92 million acres. I had pulled back for a little while thinking that maybe uh, we wouldn't lose as many cotton acres as we are, but now I've gone back, and, and so I'm back at 92 million corn acres. I think we're going to gain most of those acres in the south and in the plains. Uh, on soybean acres, I'm up a million acres to 88.5, so that brings combined corn and soybeans up to 180.5 million acres. That's the size 
sizable growth. Uh, we're going to lose a lot of wheat acres in the plains due to crop failure. That's where some of it's going to come. We're going to lose some cotton acres. We're going to lose some spring wheat acres is my current expectation. The big concern is what actually gets planted, especially in the heavy snowpack areas of the northwestern Corn Belt right now, where snowpack remains unusually heavy for deep for this time of year, and there's a lot of water in that snow. Uh, and so that could create some problems. It's a little bit early to panic yet, but the concerns are there. We'll have to monitor that. Um, so that's overall where I'm expecting an increase in both corn and soybeans with the biggest increase coming in corn and most of those increases coming outside of the major Midwestern states. You mentioned the uh, the challenges spring wheat growers could face as we get deeper into spring. Arlen, it looks like the market might be trying to secure some more acres. We're up 11, 12 cents today. Do you think getting to that $9 mark will be sufficient to pull more acres into production if the snow breaks up north? I think it's going to be pretty tough. There's two factors. First of all, you've got those farmers in some areas of the north who are going to plant spring wheat as a rotation with some of their other crops regardless. But when you get in the Red River Valley, that's where wheat really has to compete with corn and soybeans and some of the other crops. Uh, and that's going to be much more difficult this year. Now, if the snowpack hangs on and it gets late, uh, you go, end up planting crops late. I think a lot of farmers would rather plant spring wheat late than they would corn. Um, so that may swing some things back to wheat, but if they could plant a normal planting situation, corn and soybeans really seem to have the edge in the Red River Valley, and that's where I think spring wheat's going to lose out if we're able to get in there in, in at least somewhat of a decent time frame with the snow melt. All right. So we'll talk that on Friday. USDA will release their planting intentions. We'll look to the future, but Arlen will also look to the past. We'll get that quarterly grain stocks data. Are you anticipating any surprises on that report or where could the surprise appear on Friday's quarterly grain stocks? Yeah, maybe that's a better way to ask it. If I anticipated it, it wouldn't be a surprise, but that that's kind of the way the market looks at it. Uh, it. This report is known for its surprises in the stocks reports, and they typically end up in the corn stocks report. And if there is one, I think it might be that corn stocks are smaller than what USDA indicates, suggesting that uh, perhaps they overestimated the size of the crop. But more significantly, I think suggesting that USDA is understating feed usage. When they made up their balance sheet for the 22-23 marketing year and they saw that we were going to have a smaller corn crop last year, they automatically assumed that we'd have a large drop in feed usage this year because high prices would ration demand. Now, yes, we do have fewer cattle that we're feeding right now, um, but I think they overdid it on reducing their feed usage, assuming that we would have more price rationing. And that price rationing actually hit exports, removing the need for feed usage to do it. So I think we're going to see feed usage go up. Um, that's one of the places I'm looking for a potential surprise. Folks, keep an eye on that report. We'll be out on Friday. Arlen, anything growers need to do in advance to prepare? Uh, you need to look at uh, where your position, where your vulnerability is, how much you've marketed, and what can you afford to have a surprise in, and, and maybe look at some alternatives for protecting that risk going through the report day. Good thinking. These prices certainly are worth protecting with some risk, folks. That is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex. And Arlen, as always, appreciate your insight. Thank you, Mike.
Folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we're going to turn our focus to the dry bean business. Dean Nelson of Kelly Bean will join us with an outlook for that segment of the egg industry when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, 
foods, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You know, this week, as we just heard about from Arlen, it is going to be a week of discussing crop acreage here across the industry as we gear up for these prospective plantings reports from the USDA. Now, Arlen just mentioned that he over at Stonex is expecting to see corn and soybean acres total over 180 million. 180.5 is his number for those two crops coming in. But we're going to see other crops competing with corn, soy, and wheat to try and secure some acreage of their own. And one of those segments that will be competing for acres is the dry bean business. Joining us now for an update on that segment of American agriculture is Dean Nelson of Kelly Bean. And Dean, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Hey, before we talk about what's coming this year, Dean, uh, for a lot of our listeners who might not be in the dry bean business, how was production across the country here this last year in 22? Uh, actually, uh, we had record yields across the uh, pretty much all varieties, uh, especially in North Dakota, but across the whole nation. So we had a late planted, uh, was concerned about the frost, but the crop really came in great uh, when it was all said and done. Well, that is good to hear. That is always good news, particularly when we saw such weather impacts across the country as we saw in that last growing season, Dean. But anytime we have record supply, the concern is always price is going to be moving to the downside. How did the dry bean market react to that record crop? Well, we did see the prices come off a little bit from uh, what we had going into harvest, but we're still probably in the top 75% of all-time prices um, on on all varieties. Oh, wow. In the top 75% of all-time prices. Now, Dean, is that going to be enough to pull beans into production away from, from corn and soy, particularly in the Northern Plains, do you think? 
Well, I think uh, especially here in North Dakota, with the good yields we had and and the decent prices, I don't think we're going to lose too many acres, but we will lose a few. Um, it just it seemed like the soybeans got us a little bit early, so we did have some issues with that. So. All right. There's always going to be those conflicts with other crops. And Dean, this is a question just from my, my ignorance of, of dry bean production. How late in the season can we get pl those planted up in the Dakotas? And I, I'm wondering specifically just because of the snowpack up there this year, could that be an acreage impact? Uh, yeah, it definitely could. Um, you know, last year we had we had a pile of, uh, of uh, snow and wet ground and most of our crop got planted right around June 10th. Oh, wow. So June 10th just, still produced uh, a record yield. Yeah. So, you know, normally our planning is from anywhere from May 15th to about, the, you know, the first week in June. But we actually had some replants that were planted on June 20th, and they still made it this year. So... It's so amazing it, it what was, a good uh, growing yeah. season can do, what it breaks out yeah. in the right direction. That's for sure. Correct. Dean, what... Yeah. One of the interesting things that, that we talked about here, gosh, it's probably been a year and a half or two years ago, was the trend during COVID of bean consumption just skyrocketing. We saw folks, we saw demand move like it hadn't moved in years during the COVID pandemic. And I'm wondering, as things are reopening and restaurants are coming back, is that mad crush for beans uh, starting to fade a little bit? Or are those buyers sticking around in the industry? Um, we we saw we've definitely saw a little bit of decrease of demand from that hot COVID area era um, from you know the 20th or 2020 to 2021. You know it was just crazy the demand, and it, it's basically fallen back to what our 10-year average demand is has been. So we haven't really lost historically what it is, but we're down from the peak pandemic times. All right. Well, and that makes sense. I mean, that was such a disruption to people's routines. It makes sense. We're sort of reverting to the mean on that side. And I'm wondering, Dean, before we let you go, for folks who maybe don't have their acreage plans ironed out for uh, 2023 quite yet, is there still time to get beans under contract or get beans, uh, get bean seeds uh, secured? Um, yes. Uh, seed, we do have a good supply of uh, pretty much all varieties of seed, uh, all classes of seed. Um, we have a few contracts available um, still, not not like we did before, as we've we've contracted quite a few acres already. But there is still some available. So yeah, you can still uh, get some acres in for, from us if you're interested. All right, if you're looking for ways to find that margin sweetness for your operation, maybe dry beans are a place to look this year. Dean, if we've got folks who are curious, where could they go to get more information and see what work you're doing there at Kelly Bean? Well, we have uh, we have uh, go to our website www.kellybean.com, and that I will give you uh, it'll give you the directions where to go, which plant is uh, closest to you, as we have multiple plants uh, in multiple states. So, absolutely, folks. That's Dean Nelson from Kelly Bean. Dean, always appreciate you taking the time to fill me in a little bit more on the dry bean industry. Thanks for joining us today. All right, Mike. Thank you.
And folks, uh, before we let you go, I did want to clue you into one more story that is worth watching. It's a build. It's a it's a it's continued growth to a story we've been tracking for a while, which are the increasing tensions between China and Taiwan and the United States. The Taiwan president, President Tsai, Tsai is heading to the United States this week. And China earlier today issued a pronouncement advising Taiwanese President Tsai not to meet with U.S. House Secretary Kevin McCarthy. Remember the uh, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi met with President Tsai six months ago back in the prior Congress. Now with that president coming here, they are looking to get together once again. And China says that would be an affront to their sovereignty. However, the Taiwanese responded. They noted here about an hour ago that, quote, external pressure will not hinder our determination to go to the war world. A veiled response and a shot back at China. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We'll be back tomorrow with more coverage. We'll talk about a Supreme Court decision with Jeffrey Miller, the attorney who took the case to the Supreme Court that opened up more rights for landowners working with Uncle Sam. Tune in tomorrow to more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyour6.org. That's gotyour6.org. Using the number six. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.